Why don't we rise as we prepare to read or, and listen to God's word out of the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verses 1 through 10. It is on piercing the black pubics. Again, this is Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 10. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, who had brought him down there, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So his house and put favor in his sight all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he Because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because he has in my charge, so has no concern greater in this house than I am. Nor he has kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph, she spoke to Joseph, this is the word of God. He would not live. Well, good morning. Um, I am uh, Thomas Wang. I am the uh, Chinese assistant pastor, or honored to be able to share with you from the word of the Lord this morning. I'm grateful for Pastor Jason and Pastor Fred for giving me this opportunity, and uh, um, thoughts are with them, and pray that they from the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, and even though our scripture reading this morning ended at verse 10, in reality, the message is actually a summation of the entire 39 of the book of Genesis. And this is a story that we're all pretty familiar with, and sometimes as new insight. Back to a story that we're particularly grateful for uh, different commentaries, like from Dr. Hamilton and Dr. Wynnum, as well as Pastor uh, Tim Keller, who've really helped me uh, in studying this passage once again. Seminary at Trinity in Chicago. My parents were students there at the same time as well, and they had bought a house out in the suburbs of Chicago, and they said, rather than you living in the dorms and us living in the suburbs, why don't we made fine live together once again? Reality, I, on the surface, that was a, because I had been on my own since college, uh, living for about five or six, about seven years, and as a mid-20s or late 20-year-old to have to move back into but then my parents were insistent. They said, you know, we don't have much opportunity after this to live together. So I said, fine, I will live with you once again. And then when I moved in, my parents immediately laid down some house rules. They said, no refrigerator or TVs in your bedroom. Um, you are not allowed to bring friends permission. And at certain times in high school, it just felt really, really weird. But, you know, I went along with them. It was their house after all, and they were my parents, and I wanted to honor them. But I soon found that it was really difficult to abide by some of those rules. In particular, the restriction on when to invite my family would just over. I was couch and turn on the TV and just shoot the breeze or watch some movies. But with my parents' home, that wasn't possible anymore. And there were many times when I tried asking them, can I bring, you know, well, am I allowed to go over to their place? They said, fine. Even though it was late at night, you know, 10 p.m. or, or 11. 
And so I quickly realized it's not that they had a problem with parties or gatherings. It's simply that they, because they're the idea of to be in a home, the house is a safe place for the family. It's a place where you can be yourself. It's a place where you kept your family secrets and laundry and you did not want others to intrude. It was something that I had struggled this day with, but I went along. They want me to abide by the same rules. Um, but God is gracious. And I only see them once a year at most. So it's something that I can handle, I think. Um, and the teaching of scripture regarding temptation. Because there is a biblical principle for us here as Christians. And that is what our passage this morning is trying to remind us. That it's okay for you to live in the world. But it's, bad, but it's bad if the world lives in you. And the, what the Bible is addressing, and the Bible is particularly concerned with, is this problem of worldliness. You see, worldliness is at its core a matter of the world. If your heart is captured by the love of God, you will be drawn to him and the things of God. And the question for each and every one of us this morning is, what is the happiness and satisfaction? Is it your job? Is it this relationship? Is it status or beauty or health? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love God. And to put it more, God will not love the world. It's a black and white matter, night and day. And John is saying the same thing that Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13, that you cannot serve God and mammon. You must make a decision pleasures. You have to choose. But the question for each and every one of us then becomes, what is so bad with the things of the world? That does not promote God's glory, nor does it encourage us. In fact, it actively teaches us to not submit to God. This world has been twisted and corrupted by sin, and therefore a Christian cannot love both things and the world, which is what John says in 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And I want you to notice from that verse and pride of life. And I believe the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife illustrates this verse perfectly. So the, and that's what I want to show you eyes and the pride of life. For these are the things of the world that are constantly seeking to tempt and lead us astray. How do we resist all these temptations from the world? So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Genesis 39. It was a young man who was the favored one of his father, Jacob. He had been sold into slavery, betrayed by his own brothers who were jealous and angry at him. And they sold him into slavery into, to a band of traders on their way down to Egypt. And we're told that in chapter 39. And it's in this foreign setting we see a different kind of challenge that Joseph has to deal with. And in particular, we see three things. Success, temptation, and integrity. Complete three points that we're going to look at this morning in our passage. So first of all, success. Now the first thing we must understand is who Potiphar was. 
You may realize that Potiphar was the captain of the guard, and their position is scholars. In particular, they come to two different possible theories of what Potiphar actually did. He's either the chief of security for Pharaoh. In other words, you can imagine the secret service, if you will. Or the other understanding is he is the commanding general of the military of Egypt. And in either case, what you find is someone who is incredibly powerful at the most powerful advanced kingdom of its times, who was incredibly wealthy and tremendously successful. This is someone you want to be on your side, someone you don't want to mess with, and someone desperately whose family you do not want to hold into. So we're saved, and he's probably 39, that 20s by this time, and he had served Potiphar for some years. He's very gifted and capable, having learned a new language, Egyptian, who was not his native tongue in a foreign land. That Joseph was so good at what he does that Potiphar decides to make him in charge of everything in this house, including his possessions, his accounts, his assets. Joseph becomes the manager-in-chief. And on top of that, we're told in verse 6 that Joseph was handsome and well-built. Does not highly attractive ever mention or describe someone as being handsome and attractive. And therefore, if they make a point, if the Bible makes a point of identifying Joseph as someone as that, you need to pay attention. That means Joseph was exceedingly looking. He's working for one of the most powerful people in the world, and he's godly. He is the most eligible bachelor you can imagine. Who wouldn't want to be like Joseph? He's the kind of man men want to be and the women want to be with. Who wouldn't want their... You want an example of someone who had it all. I give you Joseph. You want a picture of complete success to the point of making you sick with jealousy. Joseph. If there's anyone who should be worldly of his success in a lot of ways, at, at, if definitely at his lifetime up to that point, it, this is Joseph. And in verses 2 to 6, five times the word all or everything, and in the original Hebrew, it's the same word. is using that five times this word to highlight some, Joseph as someone who has complete trust from Potiphar. He enjoys complete blessing from God, and he is completely dedicated to his master. That's a picture of complete success. Absolutely. First of all, what we see here clearly is that success comes from God. God is the one who blesses Joseph in everything he does. In fact, without God, there is no success. And so this is an important reminder for you and I, successful and grateful to God in our careers, in our relationships, if you will, to credit everything to our studies to our effort, to our context, to our um, hard work. And then there's probably some grain of truth to that. I don't want to discount that completely yet. But the Lord. God may make you incredibly successful in this world, but don't forget who gave it to you. Your grades, your job, your beyond. Therefore, don't forget to give credit to him and thank him for it. In fact, make it a habit to constantly give thanks to God for what you have. Because clearly, success comes from God. And we see that in the story of Joseph. But second of all, we can learn that success cannot replace God. 
of Job. God took away everything that he blessed Job with, his wealth, his assets, even his family, and then his health. In good times or tough times, is that he will be with us. His presence. And just because God is with you, it doesn't guarantee that you're how he was sold into slavery. And even though at the very young age he saw visions and dreams of greatness for himself down the road in his life, yet the road there was completely out of his imagination. God was with him. It took him through betrayal, through suffering, through slavery and hardship again and again and again. Where's the success story of Joseph's life is really on the presence of God. In fact, here in our chapter, four times in this story, in the first 10 verses of chapter 39, four times we're told that God was with Joseph. Twice in the the Lord was with Potiphar. And that should comfort and encourage you and I. That even though we may find ourselves in a tough spot, we may even be betrayed one day by those who are closest to us. We may be falsely accused, but the Lord will God. He may give you success, but he can take that away as well. He is God after all. But no matter what happens, he will never abandon you. So complete success teaches us that success comes from the Lord and that success cannot replace God. Comprehensive temptation. If Joseph is the most eligible bachelor, then forgive me for saying this, then Potiphar's marrying to one of the most powerful men in the world, most likely beautiful as well as wealthy. And but because Potiphar is often away for duty, she becomes lonely, desperate, seductive, and even pathological. Now, I don't watch these two desperate, but I'm aware. Um, uh, no, MTV used to have this sh- you know, show on The Bachelor, or, or not MTV, um, uh, the, you know, ABC has the, you know, or Fox have the show The Bachelor. Uh, two different TV shows coming into one. Desperate Housewife and The Bachelor Cairo, 15th century BC edition. Okay, it's the most epithetical bachelor beating the most desk Joe, and it's just a disaster waiting to happen, right? And in the middle section of this story, what we find is one of the earliest record of false accusation of rape. Now, before I go on, I want to take a minute to, to, to what I'm about to say. Over the last few weeks, we are aware in the headlines the accusations of rape and sexual assault by the movie producer Harley, actresses and women who've come forward to say, this has happened to me against my will. And then to see those on Facebook as a way to say they have suffered the same kind of unwanted sexual advances, harassment, rape, assault in their life, no matter how young or how old, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the status of their status, whether it's well-established mother. It's heartbreaking to see how common sexual assault occurs in this day. And to be fair, though most of those who have come forward and share their devastating story are women, there are also men 
who've shared that they've, in the story of Joseph, the same incident of false accusation. I want you to understand that this in particular, in no way, shape, or form minimizes those of you who have suffered and those who have to deal with the darkness and the taboo of having lived through what a horrible evil is emphasizing here, which is the question and the challenge of temptation. And here we see Joseph, who's the epitome of success, and we find in Potiphar's wife a personification of temptation, per simple, ongoing temptation. And what we see in this story is that Potiphar's wife, she notices Joseph's physical built and good looks, treating him almost as slaves still. Come lie with me. Come sleep with me. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. Because first of all, her interests in Joseph don't take place until Joseph has become successful. It says that suddenly be while she started to take notice of him. It's not a coincidence that the seduction attempt comes after we're told how successful and important Joseph has become. And what that tells you is that often temptations, or I should say, the more successful you are, the more you will be tempted by lust, by power by fame, by wealth, whatever the form, the desires of the eyes, of the flesh, things that you see, things that you covet and that you want. And with success, now they seem all the more accessible, available, and alluring. There's something about success, complete success, that draws and attracts people and that easily tempt him. You see, the sinful nature is especially tickled when we've become successful, when pride and entitlement sets in, when greed is successful, when we've made it. I deserve this. I earned this. I am this good. In fact, I want more heart and I can get them. Intoxicated by his own success and his position of power and prestige. And having gotten away once, he wants more. And more. Success will always be followed by even true for spiritual success. If you're a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or an elder, you know the full message. Or you've led someone to Christ and you're at the peak of your spiritual walk and you feel so close with God, it's easy. It's easy to think this thought. That was pretty good. I did well. And you start to and the to give credit and glory and honor to God. It's so easy in the height of our success to think that we deserve it. And that's because we want to attribute success to ourselves. The moment we start thinking that way, we freely is the source. Now, the other thing I want you to notice in this story is the manner in which Potiphar's wife tries to tempt him. And at first, she tempts him directly, tells him to his face, commands him to sleep with her. And then when that doesn't work, she continues. And when that doesn't work, she doesn't give up. Later, as we read from verse 11 and on, that she actually tries to ambush him. She tries to force her comprehensive, unrelenting, persistent Temptation. She tempts Joseph directly, persistently, and suddenly. 
when he least expects it. If one doesn't work, try, try, and try again. That's the nature of temptation. Measure. Therefore, my friends, temptation won't quit just because you fight it off once. It will come back again and again. And so it's important to know how to confront it and overcome. And in Joseph's God, he avoids her and he runs from her. And this is exactly what you and I must do as well. When temptation comes, you must remember this in Scripture. You know, people are always thinking that the way to handle temptation is by building up self-control. You know, that if you can just handle this, if I can just find it in myself, the strength to say no, to be subject bad thoughts, I should think positive thoughts. It's all about me suppressing tempting thoughts and build in myself discipline and power. Tim calls it the will. Joseph's argument that this is a sin against God. This is how he defends himself against Potiphar's first wife. He says, your husband, my master, has entrusted everything to me. How can I not only betray him, but more importantly, how can I send demonstrate God important priority in his life, the supreme desire in his heart, which is honoring God, loving the Lord, above loving himself, above giving in to his success and lust and of God. To reorder and reprioritize all the desires in our lives. If we don't put God first in our heart by regularly feeding ourselves with his word, when temptation comes, we will sense fail. You will fail. Because temptation, when it fails once, it doesn't go away. It's going to come at you again and again. And when you least expect it, it we need to be feeding ourselves on God's word regularly. And that's just how Joseph was able to resist Potiphar's wife. He's reminding himself, my success comes from the Lord, and I need to trust in him. Our second friends, you must avoid that when you go online late at night, you're going to be tempted by searching pornography sites. Don't go surfing online by yourself in the late middle of the night. Get away. Um, one of my mentors took their three boys away to visit her parents uh, in St. Louis one weekend. And he asked, he calls me up and he says, Thomas, would you be willing to spend the weekend with me uh, by sleeping over, staying at my place? And I said, okay, and I said, that's invite me. And he said, well, my wife and my families are, are gone. I don't want you to stay here over the weekend to hold me accountable so I don't watch anything that I'm not, I'm not supposed to. And he said, I'd rather like spend time with you. We can watch TV together. You know, we can do my together. temptation, my lust. That's the kind of effort. That's the kind of diligence that we need to make. You know you will be tempted. So avoid being in a spot that in a time and place that you know you're going to be most easily succumb to temptation. But third of all, in order to deal with temptation, you just need to run. You need to run from it. If you're being tempted again and again by the same situation, your girlfriend, this person, run away on taking this relationship to the next level, to become more physical. You need to stop. 
And if you need to, you need to break off that relationship, that position, that spot. When Potiphar's wife ambushes him and seizes his cloth, his clothes, he runs. He doesn't care if the clothes have been torn in temptation. Don't stick around to see and try and test out how strong you are. Because temptation will never quit. It's going to keep coming at you. So fight it. Fight it with God's word. Pull yourself out immediately and make it so. Because temptation is comprehensive. It's not going to stop. And so first we see in Joseph's life, he enjoyed temptation. And finally, we see in this chapter, costly integrity. Now what happens when you take drastic measures to fight off temptation? Well, the good news is you get to keep your integrity. You could say that your integrity are when no one is around. But it often comes at a cost. You see, learning to love God instead of the world can be highly costly and difficult. But the Bible wants to reassure you and I that it's absolutely worth it. Uh, he, before my dealt with furniture, uh, and he was uh, serving, um, he was working for a company and based in Taiwan and Hong Kong when we were growing up. And for all the time that he was responsible of dealing with the American furniture companies who to my dad's company because they could manufacture it for cheap, cheaper labor, cheaper um, uh, parts and cheaper costs. And so invariably, um, my dad would be responsible and then my father would tell them yes or no and they would go back and forth. My father told me once growing up, he said, Thomas, I'm not the smartest man. I'm not the most um, well-educated man either. I don't have the best degrees. Uh, I didn't come graduate from the best schools. I didn't have any connections to get to where I am in this with my customers and business partners. And he said that made for all the difference in the world. And he told me the story uh, one time of these um, American, this American company is huge, continue to work with you guys. It's because of you, Cecil. They said when they try to uh, contract out manufacturing jobs, no problem. You want 10,000 units in three months? Sure. 15,000? No problem. They would never say no because they want that contract. They want the money. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to be able to get that, to secure that. And then when they can't handle it, what they would, but they told that, but they told my dad, they said, but not you, Cecil. When we tell you, can you make 10,000, you would tell us straight up, no. Or you would tell us, we can make 10,000, but it will be sub that quality. We can make a company said, we want to do all we can do because we can trust you. You are reliable. And years later, when my father felt God calling him into ministry and decided to leave his position, his job, all of his American apartment, uh, the tar and the company at once, the people who worked in there want to work for anyone else but Cecil because he is an honest man. My friends, integrity counts for something, but integrity may be costly. It may as Joseph used certain business deals, thrown in jail by Potiphar after being falsely accused by his wife. And we see in this story, after Potiphar's wife wasn't able to seduce Joseph, she decides to turn her lust to this jealous rage. She turns the whole story around to smear and falsely accuse Joseph for attempted rape. 
And as we see, Joseph is therefore thrown in prison by Potiphar. Sometimes the cost of integrity is something that gives us pause and that scares us. As I shared earlier, some have said that integrity is who we are when no one else sees, when no one else is around. But I also like to define integrity this way, putting your goals above your principles. And sometimes when your goals are just within reach, but it requires you to compromise your principles, what are you going to do? It's hard. It's not easy. When you stick to it, it may cost you. It costs you a wonderful career when you refuse to cheat. It could cost you a relationship when you refuse to sleep with him. It could make you a hated person and cost you financially. And in Joseph's sake, integrity cost him his freedom, his wealth, and his reputation. Everything that he do, you love God that much. Are you willing to resist temptation to that degree? See, Joseph had plenty of time sitting in prison, probably to replay the scene back, the moment when Potiphar's wife grabbed him. You know, Satan, think about what he to you after you're stung for doing the right thing and whispers, you know, next time, next time, just give in. And then all this won't happen. See how your God takes care of you after you've been faithful to him? In prison. But we see in chapter 40 in Joseph's story that God still blessed him. Even in the moment of prison. Even in his lowest moments, his darkest days. And it wasn't worth trading all that. With the presence of God. Why? Because we go back to Joseph's priority. His supreme number one desire. The author of his principles. Listen, the story of Joseph is an amazing, wonderful story. And we find in the story of Joseph a man who was attractive, was beautiful. He was in a position of influence. But I want you to know that there is a who was surrounded by Joseph figure in the heavens, who was almighty and all-knowing. He was majestic and awesome, and yet he left his father in heaven to come down to our world. Jesus Christ. And when he came into our attractive physically, in fact, he was despised, he was poor, he was rejected, and he was betrayed. Joseph, even though he was innocent, was thrown into the prison to be among the sinners. Joseph, and then Jesus, by his rejection case, why? Why was he betrayed? And why did he go along? Why did he endure all the mockery and all the difficulties and the suffering of the cross. Because I'm 53. did it for you and me. He reasoned why, the reason why he did not give in to temptation to get on the cross was because he loved God more than himself or the world. The f- desires of the f- eyes or the flesh or the things of this world. Jesus prayed the prayer and get was to, Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your wills be done. This is the kind of Savior that we have, who died for you and I, who now reigns supreme, not only at the right hand of God, but who now lives in us through this. We need to regularly do it when we're dealing with temptation. Before even temptation comes, we ought to be regularly meditating and thinking 
about what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Not only about what he did, but why he did what he did. Desire. The desire to become his heavenly father. Become our drive. Become our love. May that become our prayer that, Lord, I am weak. I give in. I fall. I sin. It's become my love for you. Lord, help me. Help me. So that in all that I say and do, that I do not dishonor you and I never turn away from you and fall into temptation. Especially when I in integrity seems, may I never forget you and what Christ has done for you, for me. As the hymn says, look, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the thing of his glory of earth will go. Would you bow your heads in prayer with Father, we ask that you, because we are sinful, Lord, and weak. Lord, there is nothing in us that's worthy of boast or praise, which you have given us, your power, in fact, yourself. So, Lord, let you be our boast. Let the cross of Jesus Christ be what we desire, what we hang on to. Further in, or because any. So, Father, help us. Lord, I pray for this church, for this congregation in particular. Lord, that you would build in each and every one of us such a strong, firm foundation, rooted, unfailing, that nothing would separate us from the love of Christ. And that when we face temptation, Lord, that we won't give in by the power of the gospel. But Lord, we pray that your grace would sustain us. Lord, we need you. We need your grace, your strength. Would you continue to hear our prayer? Would you receive our worship for the sake of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray? Amen.